بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما So for the last couple of weeks we spoke about the battle of Al-Khandaq also known as the battle of Al-Ahzab the Battle of the Confederates, where a number of tribes formed an alliance and they tried to invade Medina. But Alhamdulillah, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala gave the Muslims a great victory in that battle. Shortly after the Battle of Al Khandaq, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala ordered the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to go towards the tribe of Bani Quraydah in the south part of Al Medina to punish them for their treachery. Uh, due to the fact that they broke their treaty with the Prophet ﷺ and they allied themselves with that confederation as well. So Bani Quraidah was punished as well. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ gave one of his great companions, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh the authority to decide upon the punishment that Bani Quraidah would get for that treachery. So Sa'd decided that the men of Bani Quraidah should be executed for treason and the women and the children of Bani Quraidah should be taken as slaves for the Muslims. So shortly after this, shortly after the Battle of Khandaq and the decision against Bani Quraidah, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was taken back to the tent that was set up for him in Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi. And as we mentioned before, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh during the Battle of Al-Khandaq, he was injured. He was injured by an arrow that was shot from the side of the kuffar. Remember, there was this big trench separating the Muslims and the kuffar. And there was some arrow shooting between both sides. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was actually hit by an arrow and he was injured. So he was still being treated for that injury. It was a pretty severe injury, but they were trying to treat him for that. So shortly after the battle of Khandaq, and the punishment of Bani Quraidah was over. Sa'ad radiallahu an, he was returned to that, that medical tent that was set up for him in Al-Masjid Nabawi where he was being treated for uh, that wound. But as we mentioned, the wound was somewhat severe. So the condition of Sa'ad radiallahu an started to deteriorate. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he would come in and he would check on Sa'ad and he would make dua for Sa'ad and he stayed with Sa'ad during the final moments of Sa'ad's life. So the wound, it became very severe and it opened up and it started bleeding. And it was clear that Sa'ad was in his final moments. So as the wound opened up and the blood gushed out of Sa'ad, Abu Bakr and Umar and Rasulullah were with him. And as the blood flowed from Sa'ad radiallahu the Prophet sallallahu actually came up to him and he hugged him. And the blood of Sa'ad was actu actually came on the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu as well. But it didn't bother him. Rather, he hugged and he held on to Sa'ad radiallahu And Sa'ad radiallahu he breathed his last and he passed away in the embrace of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa This was the death of the great companion 
of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, one of the greatest men of the Ansar, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, the leader of the tribe of Aus. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said regarding the death of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, the arsh, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it shook at the death of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam prayed the janazah over Sa'd. And he mentioned that at the janazah of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, 70,000 angels who had never come to earth before. 70,000 angels who had never come to earth before, they came down to earth on that day, on the day of the janazah of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. So he was a great man. And he was only a Muslim for six years. Imagine this. He became a Muslim when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu to Medina to give da'wah to the people of Medina before the hijrah. And Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, he accepted Islam. And the battle of Khandaq was in the fifth year of the Hijrah of the Prophet So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, he was actually a Muslim for only a period of about six years. But what an amazing six years those were. Filled with honor and sacrifice for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet loved Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh dearly. And it was because Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh accepted Islam that the whole tribe of Aus became Muslim. Because Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was the leader of the tribe of Aus. So when their leader became Muslim, the whole tribe, they became Muslim. So he was really an asset to this ummah and he was really someone who helped the Prophet in the early stages of the da'wah in Al-Madinah. So, after the failure of the confederation at the Battle of Al-Khandaq, the Prophet ﷺ made a very great statement. And it's a very, very important milestone in the history of Islam. After the failure of the Quraysh and the other tribes in the Battle of Al-Khandaq, the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تغزونا قريش بعد اليوم بل نغزوهم the Prophet ﷺ said that the Quraysh is never going to attack us after today. Rather, we are the ones who will carry out the offensive on them from now on. Now, the defensive stage of jihad against the Quraysh is over. The Quraysh, they're not going to try this again. After they failed at Al-Khandaq with so many allies in their confederation, they still failed. How are they ever going to try to fight with the Muslims again? That's it. That's the end of the Quraysh trying to ambush or attack the Muslims. Now it's going to be the other way around. Now the Muslims are the ones who are going to be on the offensive instead of the defense. So this is a very important milestone in Islamic history. The end of the defensive stage and the beginning of the offensive stage. So. The Prophet ﷺ, after this, he started sending out expeditions to different parts of the land. And one of the first expeditions that he sent out after the Battle of Khandaq was a Sariyah or a group of soldiers under the command of one of the companions. And his name was Muhammad 
Ibn Maslamah radiallahu an, a very brave hero of the companions. The Prophet sallallahu sent a group of 30 soldiers under the command of Muhammad ibn Maslamah to An-Najd, which is north of Al-Madinah. And he sent them to a, an area in Najd that was a distance of seven days away from Medina. So they traveled for a period of seven days and then they reached the destination and they ambushed the tribe of Banu Bakr. And they were able to kill 10 men from Banu Bakr and the rest fled. The rest of them ran away. And the Muslims, they collected huge spoils. They collected 150 camels and 3,000 goats. So this is a very, very huge ghanima, a huge spoil of this battle. So they took these 150 camels and these 3,000 goats and they headed back towards Al-Madinah. On the way, going back towards Al-Madinah, they came across a man who was sleeping. A man who was sleeping and they took him as a prisoner. And they didn't know who he was. They took him as a prisoner, as a captive, and they didn't know who he was. And he was actually on his way to Mecca. This man was actually going to Mecca with the intention of making Umrah. And as you know, the Kuffar, they also used to make Umrah. But their Umrah had shirk in it as well. The Talbiyah that the Kuffar used to do when they would make Umrah, they would say, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik, Labbaik la sharika laka Labbaik, Inna alhamda wa ni'mata laka wal mulk, La sharika lak, illa sharikan huwa lak, tamlikuhu wa ma malak. So they used to add this phrase to the end of the Talbiyah where they would say, Ya Allah, you have no partner except the partners that you have, but you are the owner of those partners and you own what they own. So basically they used to associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even in their Talbiyah. So the Kuffar, they used to make Umrah, but their Umrah used to be combined with Shirk. It was not an Umrah of Tawheed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So anyways, this man who the Muslims under the command of Muhammad ibn Maslama this man who was captured, they didn't know who he was, but he was on his way to Mecca to make Umrah. So they captured him and they took him back to Al-Madina. When they returned to Al-Madina, they told the Prophet ﷺ of their success at taking the ghanima, taking the spoils from Banu Bakr. They told the Prophet ﷺ that they were able to get 150 camels and 3,000 goats. And the Prophet ﷺ was very happy at this. And then they informed him, Ya Rasulullah, we also found someone on the way and we took him as a captive. We took him as our prisoner. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Who is he? Where is he? I want to see him. So they brought him to the Prophet ﷺ. And when the Prophet ﷺ saw him, he said to his companions, Do you know who this is? Do you know whom you have captured? And the Sahaba, they said, La wallah, Ya Rasulullah. Ya, ya Rasulullah, we just saw him and we don't know who he is. And the Prophet ﷺ said, This is Thumama ibn Uthal. This is Thumama ibn Uthal. He is the leader of the tribe of Banu Hanifa. Banu Hanifa was one of the biggest tribes of the Arabs in the Arabian Peninsula. And they were located in an area of Al-Najd called Al-Yamama. And this area that was under control of Banu Hanifa. It was basically the breadbasket of the Arabian Peninsula. It was an agricultural area where they would grow wheat and they would grow grains and they would supply the rest of the Arabian Peninsula, including the Quraysh. They would supply the Quraysh with grains and wheat for them to make bread. If you think about Mecca, 
What is the type of land that you have in Mecca? Mecca is just a barren desert. It's a land without any type of agriculture. So for their grains and their wheat, for their bread, they would depend on having this service or this import from Yamama, from Banu Hanifa. So the whole Arabian Peninsula basically was dependent upon them for the supply of grains and wheat. So he was a very important man. Thumama ibn Uthal, he was the head of this tribe. Thumama ibn Uthal is the head of Banu Hanifa. He's the head of the tribe that supplies grain and wheat for the Arabian Peninsula. So the Prophet ﷺ realized this is a very important person. So he commanded that he be kept captive, not in someone's house, but in the masjid itself. In the masjid al-Nabawi, the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ itself. That he should be kept, kept captive in the masjid and he should be treated very well. He should be given good food. He should be relaxed. He should be comfortable. The Sahaba should make sure that they host him in a very good way. So that he is comfortable and he doesn't feel any type of discomfort. Even though he's a prisoner, he should be treated very comfortably and very honorably. This was the order of the Prophet ﷺ to his companions. So out of obedience to this order of the Prophet ﷺ, they would come to him with very nice fresh laban, fresh milk in the mornings and in the evenings and they would serve him. They would make sure he's comfortable. They would make sure that he was taken care of. And they would come into the masjid for the five daily prayers. He would be there. He would be witnessing the prayers. He would be witnessing the interactions of the Muslims amongst each other. He would be listening to the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ of the Quran when he was leading the salah. So he had this exposure. And the Prophet ﷺ, even himself, he would stop to chat with him and to talk to him. So the Prophet ﷺ would ask him, How are you doing? And Thumama, he would reply by saying, Ana bikhair, alhamdulillah. And then he would say to the Prophet ﷺ, In taqtul, if you decide to kill me, then you are going to kill someone who has a very honorable lineage and honorable blood. And my tribe, they will come and they will try to take revenge. And if you pardon me, if you let me go, then I will be grateful to you. And if you want money, if you want ransom, then ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. So this is what he said to the Prophet ﷺ. Whenever the Prophet ﷺ would go to him and meet him, he would ask him, how are you? And Thumama would reply in the same way. So during the time that he was held captive in the masjid, it was a period of three days that he was held captive there. And during this whole three days, he witnessed the daily lives of the Muslims when they were in the masjid. And he was able to listen to a good amount of the Quran recited by the Prophet ﷺ as well. So after three days, the Prophet ﷺ again asked him, Ma'indak, what is with you, Ya Thumama? Or how are you? And Thumama replied with the same reply. In taqtul, taqtul dhadam, wa in ta'fu, ta'fu an shakir, wa in turidil mal, fasal minhu ma If you kill me, you are going to kill a person with noble blood. If you pardon me, then you are going to pardon a person who will be thankful to you. And if you want money, then ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. So then the Prophet ﷺ, after three days, he said, I free you. I pardon you. You are free to go.
So Thumama, he left Medina and he took a bath and then he came back to Medina again. And he went back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he said to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, you know, when I first came here, there was no one whose face was more hated to me than your face. And there was no one whose religion was more hated to me than your religion. And there was no one whose land was more hated to me than your land. But now there is no one whose face is more beloved to me than your face. There is no one whose religion is more beloved to me than your religion. There is no one whose land is more beloved to me than your land. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship except Allah, and I bear witness that you, Ya Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you are the messenger of Allah. So Thumama ibn Uthal radiyallahu an, the leader of Banu Hanifa, the one who is in charge of supplying food to the Arabian Peninsula, he has accepted Islam. He is a Muslim now. And then he told the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Ya Rasulullah, murni. Ya Rasulullah, order me. Whatever you want me to do, I am at your service. And then he told the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, I was actually on my way to Umrah when your men captured me. So, you know, you tell me what you want me to do. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, okay, go to Mecca and you do your Umrah. Go to Mecca and you do your Umrah. Then go back to your people. Go back to Banu Hanifa and call them to Islam. So, Thumama said, yes, I will do that. And he went, he left Medina and he went to Mecca. When he reached Mecca, the Quraysh, they received him with honor and with respect. This is Thumama ibn Uthal, the leader of Banu Hanifa, the one who is in charge of supplying grains and wheat to the Quraysh. So of course, they want to honor him, they want to show him respect. So when he came, they honored him and they showed him this respect. And then he went on to do his Umrah. And they noticed, they noticed that when he was doing the talbiyah, when he was saying, Labbaik Allahumma labbaik, labbaik la sharika laka labbaik, inna alhamda wa ni'mata laka wal mulk, la sharika lak. That's it. He didn't add the extra part of shirk in the talbiyah. Now he was only saying the talbiyah of tawheed. And the Quraysh, of course, they noticed this. And they thought to themselves, what has happened? And they asked him, Ya Thumama, asaba't? Oh, Thumama, have you left your religion? Have you abandoned the religion of your father? And then Thumama radiallahu an said, Bal aslamt. Rather, I have become a Muslim. I have accepted the best religion, the religion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So now the Quraysh, they're very upset that this is a person who is so important to the Quraysh and he has became a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So they were so upset and they were angry and they took Thumama as a prisoner. The Quraysh took Thumama as a prisoner. And Thumama was able to get out a secret message back to his people, back to the tribe of Banu Hanifa, cut off the food supply for Quraysh. So now the Quraysh, they're not receiving any grains, they're not receiving any wheat, and they cannot make bread. They don't have any food. So they tried to look for other sources to get food, but they couldn't get anything. And the famine of the Quraysh started. They started to go hungry. And they couldn't find food. And they were going, they were suffering of hunger. 
because of this boycott. Because Banu Hanifa was not supplying them with food, with grains. So, out of desperation, they let Thumama go. They let Thumama go and they said, okay, we'll let you go. You are free to go, but please open up the lines of food for us again. Allow food to be imported to us again. And then Thumama, he said, I will not do anything until I am commanded to do so by Muhammad I'm not going to make this decision on my own. If Muhammad wants me to open it again, I will open it again. But if he doesn't tell me to do it, I will not do it unless I get his specific command. So the famine, it lasted for some time. And the Quraysh were going hungry. And it became so severe and they got so desperate that a delegation from the Quraysh went from Mecca to Medina to ask the Prophet to ask Thumama to start sending the grains again, to lift this embargo. So a group from the Quraysh went to Medina under the command of Abu Sufyan himself. So Abu Sufyan and his group, they went to Medina and they met with the Prophet and they said to the Prophet they said to him, what we know from you, Ya Muhammad, is that you are a person who always keeps the ties of kinship. We are your relatives. We are from the same tribe. You are from the Quraysh and we are from the Quraysh. We are, we are related. We are blood relations. And from what we know of you, you are a person who keeps the ties of kinship and you encourage others to keep the ties of kinship. They started to speak to the Prophet ﷺ in a very respectful way, praising him as a person who keeps the ties of kinship. And they said, please tell Thumama to lift this embargo and to start sending us the food again. So the Prophet ﷺ, and this will show you how merciful the Prophet ﷺ was. These people, the Quraysh, these are the same people who tortured him and his followers for so many years such to the extent that they had to leave their homeland. They had to leave Mecca and go to Medina. The Quraysh, these are the same people who, who imposed a boycott on the Prophet ﷺ and his family for three years they suffered in Mecca. These are the same people who did that to the Prophet ﷺ. Now the tables have turned. Now they are the ones who are suffering and they have come to the Prophet ﷺ humbly requesting him to help them. Now the Prophet ﷺ, he could have thought to himself that you did this to us. Now it's your turn to taste a taste of that as well. He could have done that. But Rasulullah ﷺ was known as being merciful. He was Rahim. So when they requested him to ask Thumama to reopen the food sending to Mecca, he felt sorry for them. The Prophet ﷺ actually felt pity for the Quraysh that they were suffering like this and he agreed. And he asked Thumama to open up the lines of food again. And Thumama obeyed this order of the Prophet ﷺ 
and the famine of Quraysh was over and the food started going back into Mecca once again. But the news came out to the people that look, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Muslims have reached such a high level now that the Quraysh has to go to them and they have to humbly request Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to help them in such an important matter. So this is something that that caused the respect and the honor of the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims in the Arabian Peninsula to go even higher. So now the Muslims, their image and their reputation is becoming stronger and stronger by the day. And they are seen as, as strong and powerful at this point in time. So this is how the famine of the Quraysh ended with the Prophet ﷺ commanding uh, Thumama ibn Uthal to start sending the grains back to the Quraysh once again. Around the same time period, the Prophet ﷺ sent another expedition to the tribe of Banu Asad. Banu Asad was one of the tribes that participated in the confederation at the Battle of Al-Khandaq. Banu Asad was one of those tribes that was allied with the confederation. So the Prophet ﷺ was sending out expeditions to punish these tribes who participated in that. So Banu Asad was one of those tribes and the Prophet ﷺ sent an expedition of 40 men under the leadership of Ukkasha ibn Muhsin. And the reason why he put Ukkasha ibn Muhsin in charge of this expedition of 40 men is because Ukkasha, he was from that tribe actually. Ukkasha ibn Muhsin was from Banu Asad. So he knew their land, he knew their pathways, he knew the way that they fought. So he was the best person to be in charge of this expedition. So under Ukkasha ibn Muhsin, these 40 men, they went to Banu Asad. And when the Muslims reached the land of Banu Asad, Banu Asad, they got afraid and they all ran away. They fled to the mountains without fighting. So the Muslims, they noticed that in this land that the people had just fled from, there are no animals. There are no camels and no sheep and no goats, nothing. So they're surprised at this. Where are their animals? Because at the end of the expedition, they would take the animals. But here there were no animals. So Ukkasha ibn Muhsin was able to take one man as a captive, as a prisoner. And he asked this captive, what happened to your animals? Where are your camels? Where are your goats? And the man, he wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't, he wouldn't admit to what happened to them. So they took him along with them and on the way as they were going this man this prisoner he got afraid he said maybe where are they taking me maybe they're going to execute me maybe they're going to kill me so out of fear he said to them look if you guys give me a promise of safety if you promise that you will not kill me and you promise to let me go i will tell you where all of the animals are i'll tell you where all of the animals are so they gave him this guarantee of safety they said okay if you tell us where the animals are then we will uh, guarantee your safety. We will not kill you and we will let you go. So he said, okay, come with me. And then he led them to a very far off place. They went very, very far, such to the extent it was so far that Ukkasha bin Muhsin thought that maybe this is some type of a trap. Maybe he's taking us somewhere so that we will be ambushed by surprise. So he stopped him and he, and, and he made sure. He said, look, are you trying to take us into an ambush or into a trap? Tell me the truth. And this man, he swore. He said, Wallahi, I'm not 
taking you into a trap or an ambush. I'm taking you to the right place. They went very far. <coughs> and they reached a place where there was a big mountain. And this man, the captive, he told the Muslims, okay, all of our animals is behind this mountain. So they went and they saw behind the mountain, it was a big valley full of animals. All of their camels and their goats and everything, it was there. They had hid their animals there because they were expecting the Muslims are going to come and they're going to attack them as a punishment for their participation in the battle of Al-Ahzab, in the battle of Al-Khandaq. So they were expecting it. They knew that the Muslims are going to come for them. So they had hidden their animals and everything beforehand so that the Muslims would not be able to get them. But their plan didn't work because this captive led them to the animals. So Ukash ibn Muhsin and uh, this Muslim delegation was able to take all of these animals and they took them back to Al-Madinah. <coughs> they took them back to Al-Madinah. Also around this time period was the Ghazwa of Bani Lahyan. Bani Lahyan was not one of the tribes that participated in Al-Khandaq. But if you remember, Banu Lahyan was a tribe that participated in the attack of the Muslims at Ar-Raji'ah. Remember when the Prophet ﷺ sent six of his companions and they were guaranteed safety. He sent six of his companions to the tribes of Abul and Qara and they were, they were promised safety. But when they reached near the area, they were betrayed and these tribes, they ambushed them and they killed four of them and they sold two of them to the Quraysh and those two were killed by the Quraysh. So all six of these companions, because of the treachery of Banu Lahyan, six of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ were killed. So Banu Lahyan, they were a tribe that betrayed the Muslims and betrayed Rasulullah ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ never forgot this treachery and he, he wanted to go and avenge the deaths of those six companions. So he prepared an expedition. He prepared an army of 200 men and he led it himself. The Prophet ﷺ, he led this group himself. So that's why it's called the Ghazwa because the Prophet ﷺ himself was physically present as well. Now Banu Lahyan, it's near Mecca, which is south of Medina. So to throw them off the trail so that they wouldn't be expecting the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, he didn't go south at first. He went north so that the spies that Banu Lahyan may have had around the area, they would go back to them and say, look, he's going north. He's not coming our way, so we're safe. So the Prophet ﷺ, to throw them off the track, he went north at first. He went north for some time and then he turned around and went south. So that Banu Lahyan would uh, not be expecting him. But Banu Lahyan, they knew that their time was coming. They knew that the Muslims eventually are going to come and attack them because of their treach because of the treachery of Banu Lahyan. So they were ready. They knew that that you know it's very possible that the Muslims are going to come and take revenge for what was done to the companions of the Prophet So they had their spies everywhere. So even though the Prophet did this thing, he went north and then he went south, still Banu Lahyan was able to realize that the Muslims were coming towards them and they were able to run away before the Prophet reached their place. So on the way, 
as the Prophet was coming, he passed by the area where his companions were killed. He passed by the area where the treachery actually took place and where his companions were killed. And when he passed by that place, he made dua for those companions and he asked for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy upon those companions. And when he reached the area of Banu Lahyan, Banu Lahyan were, all, were already gone because they, they had received news that yes, the Prophet and his companions are coming and they ran away before the Muslims even reached. So once the Prophet reached the area of Banu Lahyan, he stayed in their land. He stayed in their land for two days to assert his presence and to show the people that you don't mess with the Muslims anymore. So it was a show of power. The Prophet ﷺ stayed there for two days. On the way back, after he left Banu Lahyan, he passed by the area of Asfan. Asfan is very close to Mecca. It's near Mecca. So as long as he was near Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ sent 10 men from that group. There were, there were a total of 200 men. The Prophet ﷺ sent 10 of them under the leadership of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Ten men and he said to them you go into Mecca go into Mecca and then just come back Just go into the hudud of Mecca go into the boundaries of Mecca and come back So Abu Bakr he led this group of ten men they went into the boundaries of Mecca and then they came out And the reason why the Prophet did this was to make a statement like look Now we will come into Mecca when we want to come into Mecca Instead of the Quraysh always threatening them no that's over. Now when we want to come to Mecca, we will come to Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ sent Abu Bakr with these 10 men to make that statement, to show them and to show the whole Arabian Peninsula that times have changed now. The situation is not the same as it was before now. Now the Muslims have the upper hand. So the Prophet ﷺ made that statement. After this, they went back towards Al-Madinah. So they were going on their way back to Al-Madinah and at one point on the way back, the Prophet ﷺ, suddenly he asks the caravan to stop. He suddenly asked them to stop and he stopped and they stopped. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he walked a short distance and he walked to a very old grave. There was a very old grave and the Prophet ﷺ went to that grave and he sat by that grave and he cried and he cried and he cried and he cried. He cried a lot. He cried to an extent that the companions had not seen him cry before. And he cried to such an extent that it made them cry too. He cried a crying that made the companions cry as well. And it actually kind of scared the companions. Why is he crying like this? We have never seen him cry like this before. So afterwards, Umar ibn al-Khattab he went to the Prophet and he said, Ya Rasulullah, we saw you crying in a way that we have never seen you cry before at that grave. Whose grave was it, Ya Rasulullah? And then the Prophet said, That is the grave of Amina bint Wahab. That was the grave of the mother of Rasulullah. She had died when the Prophet was still a young boy, six years old. And she died actually on the way back from Al Madinah going back to Mecca. She had gone to Medina to visit some relatives and she was on her way back to Mecca and she died on the way and she was buried there. So the Prophet asked for the caravan to stop there and he went and he sat by the grave of his mother and he cried. He cried 
because he was her son and he remembered his mother and out of mercy towards his mother he cried and the Prophet said I asked my Lord for permission to visit the grave of my mother and he gave me permission and I asked him for permission to make istighfar for her to ask for forgiveness for her and he didn't give me permission to do that so out of mercy for his mother he sat there at her grave and he cried and she died in a place between Mecca and Al-Madinah in a place that is known as Al-Abwa and she is buried there that was Amina bint Wahab the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So see, these are some of the expeditions and some of the incidents that happened uh, shortly following the battle of Al-Khandaq. And inshallah, next week we will continue with more information of the period that was after Al-Khandaq. Bi-ithnillah. Wallahu alam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam. Wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.